you know, one of the things I talk about all the time with regards to basically everything, really, is the idea that there's no just one path to success, right? You're probably thinking, what do you mean, Lore? That is really going to be weird this episode. So, okay, it's the last episode he's ever in, he's ever in, so we don't have to worry about this after this. Ah. The idea is, you can't just make an episode which has X, Y, and Z, and therefore it's automatically a good episode. Right? Even a good idea or a good concept or something you like still has to be implemented well, right? I bring that up because this episode is actually pretty continuity-heavy. Think about this. This is three major plot threads being tied into one. Hugh and the Borg. Uh, the Metaphasic Shields. Okay, that's not a big plot thread, but it is a plot thread. And Lore and, his, and, and arguably Data's whole backstory. So we've got Data's thing, Lore's thing, Hugh's thing, the Borg, and the continuation thereof, and the Metaphasic Shield thing. This is all plenty of stuff that's interesting in its own right and just kind of falls flat. I read in several interviews that people thought they were just overreaching. They wanted to do too much with one episode. They should have stretched it into two. And having rewatched this, I actually agree. Because there are three plots this episode. A plot, B plot, C plot. Now what's really funny is the amount of time the various plots get. Before I move forward, I do want to mention something. First of all, uh, they were originally going to have Barkley come back for what I'm going to call the A-plot, because that would be awesome. They couldn't because they couldn't get Schwaltz, Schwaltz? Dwight Schultz back for the role, so they had to give it to someone else instead. But that's a shame, because I think that would have been pretty awesome. The other thing I wanted to mention is they, even back when Season 7 was still new, and they were still pushing it out, they'd already mentioned that there was an idea that they were kind of shuffling around about Hugh coming back. Because they just leave Hugh out there with the rogue Borg. And we, you notice they make a point of mentioning, we can't rejoin the Collective. Now that's actually an important point. Remember, several times now, questions of exactly how large the Borg really are have come up. In fact, th this will not actually be definitively answered until Voyager enters their space in like Season uh, 3, I guess that is. So the idea of there being a, a collective still out there they can reach out to was something that needed to be said so that we know that there is still a classic Borg in addition to Rogue Borg. By the time this video goes live, uh, I'm pretty sure, I think so, the Picard series will have gone live, which I obviously have seen very little of at this point because all we have right now is teasers and a little bit of release info. One of those bits of info, though, is the fact that Mr. Del Orco... Del Arco? The guy who plays Hugh is back playing Hugh. Hugh is coming back for the Picard series. Which is very interesting to think about. But as always, continuity alone does not guarantee success. Which brings me to the episode proper. So, I'm going to start with the C-plot which actually starts 19 minutes into the episode. We just get the occasional shot of Riker and Worf roaming through the countryside, and then roaming through the countryside, and it's Hugh! Oh my god, it's Hugh! Hey, what's up, Hugh? You weren't in the first episode at all, and you're barely in this one, because you're part of the C-plot. And he's like, you don't understand. We barely knew how to function as individuals. It was so terrible. We're not even explain how this works, because it makes no sense. Let's just move on from that. You'll notice, by the way, I brought this up last episode, uh, when an author sort of assumes a character knows what the audience knows. A good example of this is when they meet Hugh, Hugh immediately starts talking about lore, and their reaction isn't, oh my god, lore! It's, oh yeah, of course, because we know everything the audience knows. 
They don't even know Laura's involved at this point, as a quick reminder. Anyways, there's a lot of problems like that in this episode. But we find out that apparently Laura's trying to turn the Borg into fully artificial beings, which is what they want to be, even though that's contradictory to the Borg. But, you know, whatever. Let's just move on. And then we find out that Lore has absolutely no idea what he's doing. Which, yeah, that actually makes perfect sense. And that's it. That's the C-plot. I'm barely kidding. The only time the C-plot comes in late after that is when Hugh says, I will stay here and become the leader or whatever. We'll, so we'll follow through on the C-plot uh, next year from my perspective. So earlier this year from your perspective with Picard. Cute. <clears throat> Moving on to the B-plot. Uh, so Troy can sense emotions from Data. How? I, I, I hate to ask that, but it's not like like s programs and software running algorithms is going to put out the same exact vibe as thought. And, and I mean, I'm sorry, There's em empathy in general is kind of a magic thing. But I'm just, I feel like you're bending a little bit too far if you can literally sense emotion being artificially generated from an external source in data. If anything, she should be sensing the emotion, like, going through the wave beam into data. But no, no, she can sense emotions. Anyways. <clears throat> so, Lore is a true believer. Artificial life. We must purge all biological life. Question. How much of this do you think is ego-driven? that he really believes that he, personally and individually, is the pinnacle of all life, of all life, and that everything should adhere to him or be eradicated. How much do you think that this is because of his interaction with the Borg, of seeing people who finally venerated and worshipped him, it's like, oh, yes, at long last, I will be the great person I've always known I could be. Because remember, Lore, in both previous episodes, basically admitted to always being snubbed. And how much that always bothered him to be the lesser brother, to be the more inferior, flawed, less perfect one. How much that is always graded on him. It even graded on Data in Brothers, and Data doesn't have emotions to be graded on. So, basically, I'm kind of wondering if this was basically a sort of, maybe I'm not terrible, maybe everyone else is terrible, of course, it all makes sense. You know, sort of self-denial thing. It could also be both. Remember how I mentioned how if he was smart, he could actually maintain a, a, a horrible campaign of terror and death? I'm really glad he's not smart. <laughs> I really am. Thankfully, his followers aren't smart either. The people on the Borg ship get nuked by a solar flare of all things, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So, why is Data evil? I'm actually curious. What do you think? Because I've heard a couple of theories on this one. Now, one of the theories is without the ethical, basically with the ethical subroutine turned off, he is operating effectively as a true sociopath at this point. All he cares about is himself and self-aggrandizement, and he feels absolutely nothing for anyone else, and doing wrong is acceptable. Sure, okay. Why is he so on board with Lore's plan, then? Now, you could argue it's because he's being controlled by Lore, and that's a valid argument. You could argue it's because of the drug analogy, which we'll get to in a moment, which is valid. But the problem is, Data seems to be towing the party line for a decent chunk of the beginning part of the episode. And I don't see any strong reason why that would be. 
And that's the part that kind of bothers me. It's entirely possible this just, just wasn't all thought out, that they didn't have time to do the polishing pass on this one. As I'll talk about next week, they were having severe production issues for this entire season, so it's entirely possible that they really just didn't have time to do a few polishing passes to, to make the dialogue click the way it should. Instead, he just sounds like a parrot. So then there's this bit where Data is like, give me your visor, Jordy. And Jordy's like, why? So Data pulls out a weapon on him. Why? Data's Data. He could personally kill all three of them with his bare hands effortlessly. So I'm curious why he needed a gun. I, I don't know. Let's move on. So then we decide that he's going to be reprogramming the thing with Jordy. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds cool. Uh, that sounds awful. And it sounds like the kind of thing that's not going to succeed. But, you know, whatever, 60% chance of success, that's, that's awful odds, actually. Um, is there an odds I would, I would want to gamble with, personally? I've played XCOM. I know how this works. This also, they also have a brief scene where, where Laura shows off his cult things with uh, Goral, was his name, the random drone. What do you want to bet he named all of them, too, by the way? Seriously, though, for a second, he really does come across as just someone who is basking in it. One of the ideas they wanted to get across was the whole cult mentality thing. There was supposed to be a parallel between Hugh, who is naturally charismatic, and Lore, who is artificially charismatic. And Hugh would be a natural leader who, tries, who leads by helping people and gains uh, loyalty by earning it, and Lore, who does it by enforcing it by punishing, negative reinforcement, that kind of a thing. All of that is completely absent in the episode, of course, because, again, three plots, one episode, and they didn't know what to do with any of them. So that's neat. Then, they, there's the, they, they actually managed to trick a, one of the rogue Borg with the, oh my god, he's totally injured thing, which is pathetic. Then, they do the cheek pull thing. This is something me and my friends have made fun of for years. The great scourge of the galaxy, defeated by a tube thingy. And he just falls over. Uh, really? Really? Okay, okay, sure, I'm not going to question it. I mean, it's just hanging out there, too. Imagine he's going through and he actually hits like a, I don't know, like a, a I guess he couldn't hit a doorknob at that level. I'm trying to think. Like, he just randomly runs into something and latches. Oh, like he's going down a staircase. There, he's going down a staircase. Whoops. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> just. Uh, anyways, this leads to uh, the MacGyver scene, which is. I call it the MacGyver scene. In fact, my notes just say MacGyver because I know exactly what it means. They take a piece of equipment and modify it and push it into a force field to activate Data's ethical program. I don't even know where to begin with that. I really don't. That actually is kind of insane. Uh, quantum. Okay, we got it. We figured it out. You can see why I have troubles with this script. So many elements of it are just not thought out at all. It couldn't have been something like, say, Jordy asking him a series of questions, which they built into him as a, I don't know, a, a back door to reactivate his ethical programming, just on the off chance something happened. You can't tell me people like Jordy and Data wouldn't have set up something like that in advance, just in case. In fact, Data would probably set something up like that just in case. So Jordy's like, hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? And Data's like, would you shut up? And then finally they ask the last question, and Data's like, and the, act the program reactivates, and then he hesitates, and then he goes to see Lore. I mean, right? No, 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 no. 
Got a MacGyver something. Bzz. Sure. So then... Then Data goes to Lore. And Lore dials back the amount of emotion he's pouring into him nonstop. Which apparently causes him to physically recoil as if in pain. Now... I've looked into this a little bit. They apparently did tell him basically to act like you're going through drug withdrawal. But I have to admit, I find myself wondering why it affects him so much, simply to have less capacity to feel. Like, if anything, that should probably be more of a... Eh, instead of a, oh god, please, I'll do anything for more. It's just another piece of the puzzle that doesn't actually seem to fit the way it should. Maybe if we get a knife and like cut off the edges, it'll fit. Explain this one to me, please. I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on why this works this way. You, and I know what you're thinking. Lore, this is your job. Okay, so Lore thinks Lore is Loring with Lore. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I do have a headcanon here. My headcanon is that he's not actually beaming emotions into him directly. Not really. That this is, again, straight-up mind control. That he is actually pro beaming a propaganda beam into him and happen to have something built in to cause him physical discomfort and pain, to, to cripple him, basically. A control mechanism, just in case he needs it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> now, that, uh... Shrug? It wouldn't interfere with the ethical program being turned back on. It would just kind of help to serve as a, a way to control him. So, naturally, he brings Picard out and says, Go kill Picard! And Data's like, No, I, I can't. This would be wrong. So Laura's like, Okay, I'll kill you then. Lore's totally cool with killing Data. That's interesting. It's the, one of the only things I have to talk about about this episode. When I was watching this with Lore Mom when it first came out, we she really wanted Lore to be redeemed. Like, it was something she was rooting for. No big reason for it. She just wanted it. She likes a good redemption story. And I remember thinking, you know, wow, you know, maybe there's the seeds of it back there because she thought it. When I went and rewatched it later, I was like, wait, there's no redemption there at all. He's, he's atrociously evil. Here I am, 20 years later, I don't know how long it's been, 20-something years later, and I rewatched this episode and I think, yeah, there's no redemption possible, but it's actually more complex than I gave it credit for. If you remember in the last episode, I talked about the, con the complexity of emotion. You've got your core emotional state, and then it is distended into different ways, which can be positive or negative. And I talked about perversions of emotion, how emotions can go from a positive to a negative by being twisted. This is what I think what really happened to Lore. Lore was already a bad person, but I think he became a lot worse when he got that chip, because now all of those emotions were being conflicting and twisting in ways that they shouldn't have been. And in so doing, well, they were perverted from love into something that follows that isn't love at all something more of a possessiveness something more of a dominating controlling this is mine codependency kind of a thing it's my brother he has to be with me his final words and this is the end of lore we never see him again after this his final words are i love you brother and i believe him but i don't think what he's talking about is love not really I think that what we are seeing is someone who has been so warped by circumstance, admittedly, by the neglect of his father and by his own machinations, that what he thinks is love really isn't. 
I'm not saying he should be pitied or even sympathized with. It's just interesting to think about. This leads me to the A plot. <laughs> I, if I feel weird talking about this last, but you're probably thinking, Lord, why are you talking about this last? This is clearly just a subplot. Well, do you know what gets the most screen time? It's close between this one and the lore plot, but this gets a lot of screen time, which I have very little to say about it. The skeleton crew thing is stupid. I think I've already explained why. There's this nice bit where they say, we've only got 20 seconds to get like 40-something people out. Okay, okay. That's okay. You have 26 transporter pads on the Enterprise. I looked it up. And each of them can transport six people at a time. So in one... That's a hundred-something. I don't feel like doing the math right now. So, um, yeah, I think they're fine. But for some reason, that's not enough time for them to get everyone. And they have to do this whole other thing in order to get more people, because apparently... I mean, we've talked about this before. For some reason, the Enterprise never uses all the transporters available to them. I'm not even talking about, like, shuttle transporters and whatnot. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> so, then they fire a few torpedoes at the Borg ship while its shields are up, which shows that Crusher, for all her tactical acumen, uh, is terrible at tactics. By the way, Jay Chataway did the music for this episode. And you're probably wondering why I'm pointing it out. Whenever I think of wallpaper music, there's actually two episodes I think of. One is Basics, which I already brought up, and the other is this one, Descent Part 2. The music that plays during all the A-plot scenes with the, the fight against the, the Borg ship, they're really, really generic. Really light, barely noticeable, or at least designed to not be noticeable, but for some reason, I just can't hear, help hearing it every time. When I think of generic wallpaper music, this is what I think of, is the music from these scenes. Like, like it's competent, but awful at the same time. There's no tension, there's no strength, there's no emotion, there's no nothing. The only reason it's there is because if it was silent, it would be even weirder. Again, no offense to Mr. Chataway. I've heard him do good music. I know he can. This is not it. I mean, if you bring in a chef to make a, a, a McDonald's burger, you're probably going to get a competent McDonald's burger. You can't really blame the quality of the burger on the chef at that point, right? You blame the guy who ordered the frickin' McDonald's. <sighs> Sorry, it just, it just bugs the crap out of me. Anyways, so the C-team tries to figure out some way to work around this. Like, okay, we're going to make this work. It'll be okay. And they, they actually do have one clever idea. They'll warp in at the other side of the planet, which gives them a few extra seconds to get people on board. Okay, that's a decent idea. I'm with it. Then they leave a little bit too late, get hammered, and have to run to the star. Now, this is when they bring in the metaphasic shields. Question, how do these work? They made mention back in the episode suspicions, that it required special modifications. Hardware. Additional hardware modifications to the shuttle to make it work, right? So how do these shields just work with a program that's never been tested that just runs on the ship of a galaxy-class ship, which is a little bit of a different animal than, you know, a little shuttle? Oh, by the way, I looked it up. You remember how I mentioned that they already went into the, uh, a star back in Iborg? It turns out they went into the chromosphere of the star in that episode. For those of you not aware, that is way down. Like, here's the photosphere, that's the surface, and then there's the chromosphere. In this episode, they're up here in the corona. So, 
Anyways, then they decide to make a solar flare happen, and it should have been Barkley, and they destroy the Borgsh at the end. You see the problem I'm having here? This really is going to become a seven, season 7 thing. I can already predict it. I kind of hope not. One of the reasons... Is, <laughs> the Voyager episodes tended to be longer because it was my first time talking about television. So a lot of concepts, a lot of ideas and uh, both writing tropes and production tropes were things I could talk about in episodes. But I've already talked about all that stuff. So I don't have much to say anymore other than, well, this was an episode. I hope all of these won't be, like, 15 minutes long. <laughs> because then people will complain that they're too short and they'll hate me for it. Because for some reason people seem to think that the longer the episode, the better it is. No, don't think that. <laughs> I do have nothing else to talk about here. I, I am very curious what they have done with Hugh. I'm sure the comments section is going to be amusing if it's either good or bad. Hopefully it's just not in the middle. That would be the worst. Either way... I'll see you next time, guys.